many are happy to be alive today? Amen. How many are happy to be spiritually alive? Amen and amen. Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're an adult and you need a seat, if you guys make your way over to the youth, the youth would love to give, you, give up a seat or any of my teenagers around here. So if you're an adult and you still need a seat, we'll make sure to get you one. As we look at the gospel today, we see that it's the power of God unto salvation. Somebody say the gospel. Thank you, my brother. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 reminds us that the gospel is that which saves and transforms our lives. Paul understood this gospel, and he was willing to die for it. How many are willing to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Amen. They can't take it from us. They can't take what we believe when it comes to how we will serve our God. Our God belongs in our heart and in our minds, and they can't take that from us. When we go to the Scriptures, we see that Paul gives the declaration of the Christian faith starting in uh, chapter 15, verse 1, and this ought to be our declaration. This is a story that's based on historical fact, and it has come down through the ages. Will you be a part of a generation that handles the gospel like a baton and hand it off to the next generation should the Lord tarry? Will you be faithful with this message? Look at Paul. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Everybody say, I stand on the gospel. Amen. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's not dishonoring the Bible. I'm honoring the Word of God. I stand on the Word of God. I live by the Word of God. Paul said it was the Word of God on which he took a stand. As the old saying goes, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. What are you standing on today? I'm standing on Jesus. Jesus will last, outlast every empire. Jesus will outlast every millionaire and billionaire. Jesus will outlast every structure. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he is worth standing on. When everything else passes away, this will remain. The Bible says the glory of men is like the flowers of the field. They pass away, but the word of God endures forever. How many are going to endure with God forever? Amen. He said, by this gospel you are saved. That's the message today on this wonderful Easter morning. Everybody say it with me. By this gospel, I am saved. A lot of people are promising salvation today through their self-help programs. They're promising you get out of debt, you know, through their debt programs. They're promising you freedom through their political movements. But only Jesus Christ and his gospel can save you. We're not being mean when we say that. No more than I'm being mean when I say two plus two is four. It's not five. Listen, I love all people. And I'll sit next to a Muslim and have a wonderful conversation with them. But I love them enough to tell Muhammad was a false prophet. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I love my Hindu friends, my Buddhist neighbors. They're all in my neighborhood. I love them. It's not mean to tell them, though, that Jesus Christ said that unless you follow him, you shall not inherit eternal life. He said that everyone who came before him, and that includes Buddha, that includes all of the, Harry, uh, the, the, the Krishna myths of the Hindu religion, he said all who came before him were thieves and robbers. He said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay my life down for the sheep. How many good shepherds do we have? One. And what's his name? Jesus. Looking back to Psalm 23, David speaking in the Old Testament said, Yahweh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And here before us, think about it, here before us on the shores of Galilee, one like the Son of Man is saying to Jewish people, I'm your shepherd. C.S. Lewis said if we take him seriously, he's either a liar, lunatic, or he's the Lord, he's Yahweh. If I were to say to you, I'm your shepherd, follow me to heaven, I'm preparing mansions for you, you would say, Joe, you're either a lunatic or a liar because you can't be Lord. But when they heard that with Jesus, they didn't know to believe him either. But what did he stake his claims on? Just his good teachings, that he was going to make you a better person? Jesus did not stake his teaching on fortune cookies because you can love your neighbor as yourself and still turn to dust. Jesus said, strike this body down, and in three days I will rise it up again. Listen, little Nas may have tennis shoes, but we've got an empty grave. The Muslims may have prayer mats, but I have the Son of God returning in glory. 
The Hindus may have some vegan delightful dinners for you to have, but I'm getting ready for the Lamb's Supper. I'm getting ready to meet with Jesus. This world may convince you that Christianity is just one of many ways and that it's rude to think of Christ being the only way. But Christ, by definition, has to be the only way because the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How many firsts can you have? How many king of kings can you have? Somebody shout out one. Come on, how many firsts and lasts can you have? How many Alpha and Omegas can you have? How many King of Kings can you have? How many Lord of Lords can you have? How many creators can you have? The Bible says that's him. That's my Jesus. The Jews didn't believe him. And by the way, that's why they crucify him. You don't crucify somebody you love. They crucified him based on the charges of blasphemy. They said, here a mere man makes himself out to be God. And then he said back to them, when Abraham, which was their father of the faith, going back thousands of years, he said, when Abraham saw me, he didn't act like the way you guys are acting. And they said, you're not even but 40 years old. How do you know anything about Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. He said the divine name of God in Greek, ego am I, or Yahweh in Hebrew. He said, I am the self-existing one, equal with the Father. This is the message. This is the gospel message. We are today humbled by it. We don't deserve the credit for it. Paul didn't even deserve the credit for it. Nor did any of the apostles deserve the credit. We're not better than anybody. We're just better off. Can I hear an amen? I'm not better than you, but if you don't have Christ, I'm better off than you. And if you want to know the secret to being better in life, get God through Jesus Christ in your heart today. By this gospel, you are saved. Don't let the world deceive you into other forms of salvation. Meditation may help clear your mind, but it can't cleanse the soul. Are you listening? Eating certain kinds of food may make your digestive system go a bit better for you, but it can't redeem your body from the grave. Now listen, if Christ raised from the dead, what's going to happen with your body? The Bible says you get raised from the dead. Remember, he didn't need a a one-way ticket to heaven. He already came from heaven. It was you and I that had a problem with getting to heaven. Do you have heaven's Twitter account or, or TikTok? Do you have God right now on the line and you can get a plane ticket up there? We are the ones turning to dust. And yet Jesus came down like one of us. We don't believe in a man becoming God. We believe in God becoming man. He became what I was so that I might be like what he is. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in Christ Jesus we might be the righteousness of God. There is something special about Resurrection Sunday in the gospel because we see all of ourselves there crucified with Christ because of our sins. And because of our own penalties, that's what we deserved. And he took it for us while we were yet still his enemies. He wasn't dying for us at our best. How we come to church on Easter, Christ wasn't dying for you at your best as a good person. The Bible says he was dying for you while you were at enmity, at at war with him. And he still loved us enough to die for us. That's why he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. The gospel's been going forth for 2,000 years, changing every nation, tribe, and tongue that it reaches. I'm not here out of my nationality. I'm not here because I'm Italian or Polish. All of us trace our ancestors back to Noah in the flood. And after there, we all became pagans, idol worshipers. But today, I'm not ashamed to say that Yeshua is the Messiah. These Italian knees will bow before the God-man of Israel and worship Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. I'm not here to worship the God of the Italians, the God of the Polish. I'm not here for my ancestral, you know, pro, you know, uh, ancestral props so I can get a hand clap from the Italians of Rome. I'm here to serve my God. He's greater than my genealogy and my lineage and my culture. It's Christ over culture because Christ Christ is the creator of every culture. If you want to find your fulfillment, find it in Jesus Christ. Want to find why you were made. Want to find why you have a personality the way you do. And the different colors of the rainbow. It's because we're all expressing the image of God. But how dare we now put above our creator the creation. 
We deserve hell for that, that demonic inspired lie. To put above our God our own sexuality. To put above our God our own uh, you know, jewelry and these things. All of this comes from his creation. And when we distort it, we put that creation above the creator. And it doesn't save us. It only torments us. Somebody say, save me, Jesus. I'm glad today that I'm saved. And some of you might say, well, my mom didn't teach me this. My family didn't teach me this. But how many know your mom probably doesn't know neurosurgery either? How many know your dad or your grandpa or Ewela probably doesn't know astrophysicists or, or how to do astro, you know, mathematics? So my parents may not know everything. Your parents may not know everything. But the best thing you can do is to know the one who does know everything. I know Jesus. If my mom got it wrong, that's all right. Jesus is going to make it right. If I was taught to worship the mother of Guadalupe and to do all these naughty things with Pastor Tom or Father Tom in a closet, I can renounce that and show my parents a better way. God didn't tell us to go talk to another man. He said, talk to me. So I, I, I remember these stories growing up with my family, and I can just tell you many of these were my parents let me down. The first one started with my mom saying, I'm going to cut your hair today. And I should have known that was a, a bad start to a day because my mom's not trained in how to cut hair. But she said, I'm going to give it a shot. I couldn't argue with her. And then this is where I knew at this moment that it probably wasn't going to go good for me because she then said, if I cut you, I'll buy you some toys. I told her, I said, Mom, the one I get my hair cut with never starts off the day like that with me. Never says, now look, if this goes wrong, I'm going to give you a discount. Needless to say, I got a bunch of toys that day because my mom nicked me and cut me. Now, my mom may love me, but she was wrong that day to try to cut my hair. My Italian grandpa lived on a farm, butchered things right in front of me, made a bloody mess out of everything he would, he would butcher. He would chew the raw meat while he's flavoring it up. Am I going to follow my grandpa and how to live healthy today? Am I going to let my mom cut my hair? You wouldn't let your mom do heart surgery. Why are we looking to our family to explain all of this? We need to go to Jesus Christ. We need to go to our teacher. Amen. A lot of times people say, well, that's not my culture. Christ over your culture. Somebody says, my parents didn't teach me that. Well, God the Father's teaching you that. Start up a godly lineage. Start up a godly history. Jesus said, unless you deny yourself, pick up your cross, you can't follow him. Unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, or your own family, you can't follow him. You have to put Christ above all. Who are the best fathers? Christian fathers. Who are the best wives and mothers? Christian mothers. Christian wives. When the gospel reaches a culture, it has a man be with one woman and then raise their children in the fear and admonition of the, of the God that they serve. It teaches their children how to obey their parents and how to live moral lives. We need the gospel in this culture. We need the gospel in our schools. We need the gospel in our marriages. Anytime people bring up to me all the negative things that have been done in Christianity, I agree with them. Those so-called Christians will go to the same hell that you're going to if you don't repent and find Jesus. Because here, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, what about the slave owner? Well, they're going to hell too. Do you want to go with them? Or do you want to meet the real Jesus? The real Jesus didn't own slaves. The real Jesus didn't oppress people. And those who follow the real Jesus live like Jesus. So don't throw back into our face all the atrocities of the Roman Catholic Church. To hell with everything that doesn't line up with the Scriptures. I'm not here for the Pope. I'm here for Jesus. I'm not here for a denomination. I'm here for Jesus. Every man's creed will pass away. Everything that man has done, this building, all these things, my books will pass away. But the Word of God remains forever. Let me encourage you today, church, to be on fire for Jesus, to know that gospel. Even if I were to fail, what if I became a tranny next week, started selling my body at Belmont and Clark to other men for hits of crack? Would you then follow me there? Keep preaching the gospel. It doesn't matter what a pre well, these preachers do this, these preachers do that. Do you want to go to hell with a backslidden tranny preacher that does drugs and smokes crack? I don't care what a pope has done, what a religious organization has done in the name of Jesus, what any pastor has done. I care about what Jesus Christ has done. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I trust my life to Jesus Christ. 
Some of us here don't even know where our next breath's going to come from. Matter of fact, all of us don't know. The Bible says that only tomorrow is in the fool's calendar. A rich man said, look at my prosperity. Look at all these stimulus checks I got. <laughs> I'm going shopping. The Bible says, he said, I'm going to store it all up. I'm going to hold on to it. And then Jesus said, you fool, tomorrow your life's going to be taken from you. Woman shot up Burger King. Another dude shot up the grocery stores. You don't even know if you can make it to Burger King today. Somebody, a YouTube blogger, was riding in their car. A tree fell down and crushed them and died. You don't even know what that tree next to your car is going to do. Somebody was waiting for a bus here in Chicago and got ran over by the bus they were waiting for. Boom, 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 boom. What did we just hear, bus driver? I don't know, but I'm going to keep driving. That was somebody that just died. It's kind of funny, but it's more scary than anything, isn't it? The, the temporality of life will scare all of these little whimsical things of your life right out of you. If you take life serious, you have to take death serious. We as Christians, we look to the resurrection of Jesus as where death, hell, and the grave were defeated. Sometimes people say, well, they just made it up. When you hear somebody say that, challenge them and say, well, why did they make it up? What did Peter, a Jewish fisherman, get out of making up that his Savior that he believed in, who he watched crucified by the Roman government that had taken over the whole world, what does he get out of that now walking around telling everybody, psst, 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 let me just tell you, the one that you saw crucified and beaten like a dog and died a humiliating death, that's my Lord and Savior he resurrected. What does a fisherman get out of such a story? Number one, Jewish people didn't even believe in the physical resurrection before Judgment Day. That twisted up their whole eschatology. For one man to resurrect and all of us not to face judgment, what is that? And then number two, if they saw Jesus in a hallucination like a spirit or a ghost, why would they say, I touched him, I felt him, I saw him? And then later on, all their friends saw him. And then sometimes they say, well, Peter, and they all of them must have hallucinated. I don't know how many hallucinated drugs those scholars have done, but we've never, my friends, hallucinated and all say all the same thing. Yes, this is a pastor who used to do hallucinogenics. Aren't you happy I'm saved now? When I was hallucinating, I'm talking to the cat. My friend's flying the car to the space. He's going up to the moon. These people try to come up with reasons. Well, Peter did it because of this. Peter didn't do it for any other reason that his entire world was shaken upside down. And on the day of Pentecost, he began to preach willing to die with his Lord and Savior. Why? Because he had seen him resurrected and ascend to heaven. They got nothing out of it. They got nothing of material gain. It's not like L. Ron Hubbard in Scientology. We got to sleep with a bunch of extra women and make a bunch of extra money. Or like Muhammad, take over a bunch of extra land and join Arabs together under one pagan god called Allah and the moon god. Christianity is birthed out of martyrdom. What did a Jewish fisherman get out of Christianity making up stories? What did any of them get out of it? All of them received the death penalty. Now, sometimes people say, well, a lot of these different religions, Joe, they're willing to die for what they believe in. Yeah, they believe in that. And this is what they believed. We touched the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the difference between saying if I blow myself up in this plane going towards this building, I get to go to, you know, to paradise with 70 virgins. Okay, you believe it. Nobody's doubting that. It's another thing to say my belief is based on a fact I touched him. These people were saying, we touched him, we saw him, we ate with him, we watched him ascend to heaven. What did those disciples get out of it? It contradicted their Jewish faith and how resurrection was supposed to work. It totally freaked them out in the understanding of God becoming a man. They didn't understand the Masonic role and the divinity of the Christ. And then last but not least, they didn't understand the role of Gentiles. Why would they start preaching the Gentiles? They were Jews who wanted to see the Gentiles punished like how David cut off Goliath's head. What transformed a bunch of radical Jews to now go into pagan lands like Doubting Thomas to go to India and get speared for preaching the gospel and for others to head into northern and southern Africa? What possessed these people? It was the power of the Holy Spirit transformation. People look at the gospel and they say, oh, they all colluded together. They don't understand that the New Testament is 27 books written by multiple authors. Some of them never met each other. And yet when they met up, based on their revelation and their encounters with Jesus Christ, they spoke synonymously the same words of God and didn't contradict each other. 
As a matter of fact, what you're about ready to hear from Paul, Paul was a Jew just like uh, all the other Jews, and he had persecuted the church, and yet he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He then started following Jesus and himself was beheaded. What, why would Paul do that? Paul was in a Jewish religion with prestige and power and wealth. He would only do that if he was saved by the gospel. Somebody say saved by the gospel. Thank you, because I'm so happy today that the gospel is not just a mental ascent to a bunch of historical facts. We're not just going around going, hey, do you believe Jesus did X, Y, and Z? Okay, now you're a Christian. No, we believe that when a person is in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. They are a new creation. We believe that the gospel is more than just information. It's transformation. The transforming power of the gospel is changing lives right now. A lot of times people ask me, well, what about the unreached people groups? What about those who have never heard? First of all, I always like to let them know, whatever we decide here doesn't change about you because you're not one of them. You're hearing it preached now. What say ye about Jesus? But then when we talk about the unreached people groups, you can go to various books and those who study missiology and hear about the testimonies of Christ that people in pagan lands are hearing, whether it was here with the Aztecs and the Incas or those in different parts of Africa or even in the Chinese dynasty. There is a history of people having visions of one who looks like the Son of Man speaking about his Father and sending missionaries to those people. And then when they receive the book from the missionaries, they say, this is what our ancestors told us about. Get mosque and miracles still happening today. Get eternity in their heart and begin to see that Christ has been appearing. He's been speaking. He has not been silent. The Bible says he's not afar off. He is close to every one of us. All we have to do is reach out and he'll touch our hearts today. The Bible says he wants all to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. This is not a click that we're just trying to make ourselves feel better in. Heaven and hell is at stake here. The gospel saves. Nothing else does. Jesus Christ is touching the world. We here in America ought to be ashamed of ourselves that we have more Bibles, more apps, more, more resources, and we're not using it. Look up online, Chinese Christians getting Bibles, and if you don't cry, it's because you're backslidden. These Chinese Christians open up the Bibles and begin to weep and rejoice because the word of God costs them something when was the last time you were saved to the point that you had to go out and see others saved well pastor I don't do that anymore shame on you this is the greatest message there's nothing in comparison to the message of Jesus Christ he saves all cultures. He transforms lives. He takes someone who once was a drug addict, high school dropout, incarcerated, and then makes him the preacher that you're listening to today who's gotten a doctorate, wrote over 20 books, married for 15 years, and six children. That's the power of the gospel. It's not self-help. It's not 12 steps. It's one step to Jesus. I thank God for anything that can work to better you. But listen, I'm not just better. I'm a new person inside out. My whole world's been turned right side up. I have a pep in my step and my frown's been turned upside down. If you're so happy, preacher, why are you shouting about it? Because he's worth shouting about getting through your hard hearts because many of you have heard it so many times you've gotten numb to it. It's time that we get awoken to the gospel and set on fire so the world can watch us burn. We're all just but beggars who have been given bread. Now we need to tell the other beggars where the bread is at. Today, people want to water down this gospel that saves. My friends, if I had the cure to, uh, to AIDS or the cure to COVID, would you want me to water it down, put food coloring in it, and dash some uh, sprinkles in it? You would say, give it to me raw. People want to change the gospel, make it palatable, make it sweeter, and it's lost its power. Give me the gospel, undiluted, the power of the blood. Tell me that Jesus saves and transforms lives. A generation is waiting to hear this message. God has woke up generations before, and he'll wake up this generation. Study about what God has done all throughout the cultures where the gospel, I'm not talking about crusaders. I'm not talking about colonialism. I'm saying study where the gospel has come. I mentioned the church of China. Now they believe there's over 100 million Christians there. Study what the gospel has done to China. Study about the places of India where the gospel has reached, where their own religion has taught them that they are born poor and now untouchables because of their karma. 
Karma is not something cute. It's something demonic that keeps the poor poor and the rich rich. They have found in some of those temples in the poorest communities over a billion dollars worth of golds and jewels. You would think you're watching Indiana Jones. And yet our Christians go there and touch the untouchables. Why do we go there? Because we have a message that's worth giving to everyone. Because they're all made in the image. And the Bible says God so loved the world, he gave his son. And if God so loved the world, he gave his son for the world. God can so love India that he gives me to India. That he gives you to Nicaragua. That he gives you to Indonesia. We have to share this message and watch the transformation that it brings. The gospel is changing lives. The gospel is saving. And it's worth repeating today. Can I hear an amen? Paul said, by this gospel, you are saved. Now notice this right here. He said, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now you're going to understand why I got a torn rag up here. I'm going to give you an illustration but I need a good strapping young lad to help me out. Andrew, would you come up here? Let's give it up for Andrew as he comes. Go ahead and stand here for me, please. Now start easy with me, okay? Somebody say, hold on. In this illustration, Andrew's, Andrew's going to represent the bad person. I'm going to be the good person. Is that okay? We know you're a good person. But I want you just to try to take that out of my hand. Just start off light. Look at that. See, some people give up too easy. All the devil has to do is pull just a little bit, and you let go of the gospel. You let go of the morals of the scriptures. But we got to hold on tight. Somebody say, hold on. Now give it all you got. Keep going. See, that's why I broke in the first service. Let's give it up for Andrew. We could have gone a lot more. Somebody wants to see that tug of war, don't you? Go get a rope. We're going to do it for real. Half kid after service. My poor rag. I'm tired of seeing Christians let go of the gospel. They don't want to hold on to it. I know some of you might have went to college, took a comparative religion course, and it might have messed with you. I'm sorry, your pastor didn't prepare you for that. We're not, we don't have any problems here with your questions, your doubts, anything that you're dealing with, we'll deal with it here. But I want you to understand this. You can go to hell still contemplating the gospel. You better hold on to it. You better hold on to it because sometimes you got doubts. I got, a, I got a doubt for you to add to your doubts. Doubt your doubts. All right? You better hold on to the gospel because you might not have it all figured out, but there's something you better get figured out. Who's the one who came from heaven to earth, lived a sinless life, was crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day? You better get that one right. You say, oh, well, that's not what they said at Princeton, Harvard, and Yale. They all disagree with you. I disagree with their disagreement, and I want to remind them that Princeton, Harvard, and Yale all started as Bible colleges. Well, science disagrees. The scientific method was established by Christians. Today, we need to put Christ back into all that we do. Christ back into our science endeavors. Christ back into our economic endeavors. Christ back into our school and our educational endeavors. Why? Because the gospel saves, and if you hold on to it, you'll be changed. People would rather have Tranny uh, Library read you a storybook hour than have preacher read you the Bible hour. And we wonder why our kids are in trouble. We would rather teach our children that all gods are alike. I have no problem them learning about other religions, but tell them that this is the God of the Bible who said in the beginning he created heavens and the earth. You say, what about these other religions? My friends, they're more than welcome at the table, but we have to believe what God said in his word. Can I hear an amen? Like I said, believing two plus two is four. It's not mean to anybody. If you still want to believe five, that's fine. But give us an equal chance, opportunity, and we'll win in the world of ideas every single time. Christians, hold on to the gospel. Don't let your workplace take it from you. The Muslim can come in a hijab and pray five times a day. The vegan can ask for their own weird food to be cooked at the barbecue. Talk as a Christian. Live as a Christian. And if they need some help of remembering the laws, get a Christian lawyer to help you. We are here to be light and darkness, salt and light. They may not believe on it, but every time they go to court, they swear on this. Then you live by it. Are you listening to me? The congressmen that are there now may be but a joke, but they still have to have a chaplain before they open up a session. Pray for our leaders to abide by this. This is what we are. It's not in money we trust. It's in God we trust. How is trust and money going for you? It's one nation under God, not God's. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
Otherwise, you've believed in vain. If you have lost your faith, whatever faith you had originally, you've believed in vain. Hold on. Somebody say, I'm going to hold on. Amen. This is what we're going to hold on to, Paul preaching. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you. So Paul received this. Paul had never even met with the original disciples until he first met with Jesus. Why doesn't the story go like this? A Jewish man had a vision of Jesus, and then he went and told the apostles of Jesus that Jesus was an alien coming on a spaceship to all beam us up, Scotty, to heaven. It is exactly the opposite. When Paul said he had a vision with Jesus, and he meets with the disciples three years later, check by check by check, the apostles go, that's right, that's right, that's right, because God was speaking, and he's still speaking today. What Jesus are you following, the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of some make-believe religion? Paul heard from the Jesus of the Bible, and he goes, this is what I received, and this is what I'm passing on down, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. The prophecies about Jesus are 300 in the Old Testament. Jesus is not just showing up on the scene and winging it. This is greater than the chosen one, Eddie Murphy. This is greater than Luke uh, Skywalker in Star Wars. These are prophecies that detail when he would be born, where he would be born, how people would react to his birth. Do you know that during the time of Daniel, Daniel's given a prophecy that 430 years from now the Messiah will show up and he will come to the temple and the glory of God will appear. I love talking to my Jewish friends who reject the Messiahship of Jesus. I say, hey guys, hourglass is up. Where's your Messiah? Ours has already come. He stood in front of the temple and said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink, and out of their innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He was speaking of the prophecies of Isaiah that he would make rivers in the wilderness and streams out of the desert because John says this, he spoke of the Holy Ghost. In Haggai, the Bible says that the second temple would be greater than the first temple. And all the people at that time wept. They looked at the second temple who had remembered the temple of Solomon, covered in gold, precious metals. They looked at their second temple and said, man, this is a joke. We're so sad. But the prophet said to them, the greater glory is coming. That greater glory came in the person of Jesus exactly when Daniel said it would happen. Born in Bethlehem. Are you listening to me today? A light unto the Gentiles. Jesus Christ is not someone that is an arrow that we all draw a bullseye around. He is the arrow striking the bullseye 300 times. For Jesus Christ to fulfill even just a handful of these prophecies by accident, it would be like filling up the state of Texas up to your hips with quarters and then giving you one chance to pick out the right quarter. Jesus Christ fulfilling prophecy is not only a necessity, it's an impossibility to do it otherwise other than what Jesus did. It's called impossibility to the contrary. How could there be any other Messiah? How could there be any other way except the way that the prophets drew out and that was fulfilled by Scripture? So I love what Paul says. Christ died according to the Scriptures. Had never met a disciple. Had never sat down with the original ones. I mean, he was persecuting them, but he never sat and learned of them. And yet when he gets the gospel, he goes, I can go back to the Old Testament and start pointing out the prophecies of Jesus Christ. Don't let a professor talk you out of this. Don't let a History Channel special talk you out of this because the next five minutes after that, they're going to play the special about UFOs and how the pyramids were built by aliens. We've become fools in trying to become wise because we are rejecting the wisdom of God. The Bible says go back to those scriptures. He said Christ died for our sins. You know the, the part that we have to assume there is that we have sins. Now the world just wants to erase everything and call it a preference, a choice, a pleasure. Lying's not a sin. It's how I was born. Adultery's not a sin. It's just what I do. Come on, somebody. Cheating is not a sin. Might makes right. If I get away with it, politician says, I'm good. We're trying to erase the definitions of sin in the Bible so that people do not have guilty consciences when they read the Bible. A guilty conscience is a good thing. I'm not talking about condemnation. I'm talking about conviction. How many of you are happy that you get convicted in life? How many are happy you have a spouse that helps convict you when you don't hear it from the Holy Ghost? Young people, how many are happy you have parents who will convict you when you don't hear it right? We are now to the point where we deny our own conscience. We need to hear the voice of the conscience speak to us and how we have grieved our conscience over the years. 
Stop drugging up your conscience. Stop getting drunk and hiding the voice of your conscience. Stop, you know, dumbing down your conscience with technology, always feeding your mind things so that you can't be still and know that there is a God or that he's convicting you of sin. So often you'll hear these movie stars and these entertainers in their interviews, and they'll say, I can't stand to be alone. I always have to have something on, and I remember J-Lo saying that. I always have to have the TV on. I always have to have something on. It's because God is speaking to her conscience. God is trying to wake up a nation. And we just feel, we just keep feeding ourselves these noises, ah, la, 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 I can't hear you, that we're going to change the way God is. My friends, you can say all day long you don't believe in gravity, but gravity still believes in you. Just give it a try. Just give it a try. You can go up to the top of this building. Don't blame it on me because it's just an example. And you can say, at the top of the building, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. It doesn't matter what you believe. You're about ready to hit the ground in a couple milliseconds. People can say all day, la, 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 I don't believe, I don't believe. I want to put this music on, this TV on, hang out with this talk show host, go do this job, think about this, fill my mind with the endeavors of the world, and it changes not the heart of God. And you know down deep inside, listen to me, if you are a sinner here today, you know the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why you have to go to three counselors. I always hear people tell me all the time when they walk by when we're preaching and they go, I'm good, I'm good. And I go, that's not what your counselor said. You know they're not good. They're messed up. And I'm not trying to put down counselors. Thank God for them. But we need to hear the great counselor, the Holy Spirit, the great counselor who will convict us of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. God cares so much about us that he died for our sins. Once again, he was already in heaven. Why did he have to come from earth to go right back up there? Because he wanted to bring us with him. There's a place in heaven for you and I. He said, I go there to prepare a place for you. He said, be of good cheer, though in this world you will have many problems, but I have overcome the world. Today, Christianity is not a yellow brick road. It is not just singing in the rain, dancing with the roses. You may suffer in this world. You may bury the ones you love. You may face great mental anguish. And yet we are to look to Jesus suffering there for our sins and know that he understands our pain. The one that suffered the most because of the fall of humanity is God the Son. He could have distanced himself from all of our pain and says you're left on your own, figure it out. But there on the cross, Isaiah 53 says he was touched with our sorrows he was touched with our iniquity and he was touched with our sickness so he understands from the person in the wheelchair to the one gasping for breath on their dying bed right now or to those of us who have to take medication daily or those who have gone through abuse he understands all of our sins all of our sicknesses and all of our sorrows somebody say that's my Jesus I'm not saying that we're sick and sorrowful always because of our sins. I'm just saying when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, we broke the, the code of our genome. We broke the code of our mental health. And now God is allowing evil to run its course so that at the end of this age, he can say, have you had enough? And we can say, yes, holy, holy, holy is the one who was and is and is to come. Have you had enough of sin? Have you had enough of the ways of this world? Have you had enough of man's broke down, busted up logic? Are you ready to come to the wisdom of God? Are you ready to come to the Logos, who in the beginning was there, and he was with God, and he was God, and all things were created through him and for him, and nothing was made that wasn't made by him, and in him is the light of all mankind, and that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. Something happens when I put on a sport coat and you call it Easter, amen? Preaching today. How many are happy to be here? Amen. Glory to God. Using our talents for the Lord, because I like to talk and shout a lot. Why shout for the bears? Why shout for the cubs? I shout for Jesus. Why just apply our knowledge to the flowers and to the, the, you know, to the biology of this world? Let's apply our mind to God. Let's apply our mind to the prosperity of God. Okay, great. You know how to make money. Do you know how to prosper in your marriage? Do you know how to prosper with your children? What good does it gain a man to get the whole world yet lose their soul in the end? 
What, what does it gain Albert Einstein if he loses his soul in the end? Oh, to God, we would know that he died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, which is also known as Peter, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time. Look at Paul in his sassy nature. Look at what he says. He says, and most of them are still living. How many know you don't try to start a cult based on the resurrection of your Savior and 500 witnesses when they're all still alive and you know their numbers? But see, our Christianity started in the heart of where they crucified our Jesus. And here they're preaching, going, we have seen him. We have eaten with him. This is not just a belief that we have. It is a fact that we have experienced. It's not that Caesar is Lord. Christ is Lord. The boldness of these preachers. He said, then he appeared to James. You know who James is here? This is not the brother of John, one of the 12, because it says he already appeared to them up there. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus that used to mock him in the Gospels. How many know that you are truly who you say you are if your brother or sister now worships you as God? Imagine that. His siblings who once mocked him, who probably didn't even believe the story of Mary, said, come on now, Mom, you were just a wild girl back then, weren't you? Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. He was born at you twerking at night there somewhere, you know, in Bethlehem or wherever. They started doubting Jesus. Are you listening? They doubted him. They mocked him. And that the Bible says James got converted, wrote a book, and he himself was crucified or speared, martyred for Jesus Christ. These people became living witnesses. How do you have 500 hallucinate? How do you make the claim you can talk to all of them at the same time and historical records validate this is written around the time that we claim it is written around the 40s, 50s, and 60s after Jesus has been crucified in the 30s? As a matter of fact, not only do our apostles say that he's buried, they tell you the man that buried him and where he was from. Joseph, not just any old Joseph from around the way. It's Joseph, the one from Arimathea. Go talk to him. The Jesus story is based in historical fact. These people had heard it, and they believed it, and they had now experienced it, and they were willing to preach it. And he says, last of all, he appeared to me. He got knocked off of his, his donkey. He's now getting an, 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 you know one-on-one you know, invitation to know Christianity. Paul could have rejected it at any time, and yet he has an encounter with Jesus. Somebody say, touch me, Jesus. If you're touched by Jesus, you won't be convinced of anything else. Well, what if we're in the matrix and none of this is real? Well, if we're in the matrix, Jesus is the Lord of the matrix then because I know Jesus is real. Do you understand? Well, what if we're in the imagination of a God and he's just dreaming it all right now? We're in the imagination of God the Father and his son has come into the dream. There's no way around what Jesus has done for us. He appeared to Paul. He convinced him, not only through his encounter, because remember, the Jewish people were taught not to trust every encounter. They knew of witches. They knew of false prophets. They were told, if someone comes and teaches you something, check it by the word. Don't just believe their signs and wonders. If you remember in the story of, of Moses and the Pharaoh, the magicians could go one-to-one with the, with the things of God until God conquered every one of them. But yet God had to speak to, uh, to Paul, not only through his encounter, but through the scriptures. Paul was able for three years to go through the scriptures and develop the entire New Testament theology that we read today without sitting down with one of the 12. Isn't that amazing that Peter is now in the Bible getting rebuked by Paul because Paul knows so much about the gospel. Read about that in Galatians. That's why when they read Paul, they say, why doesn't he quote a lot of Jesus from all of these different gospels? It's because Paul is writing before Mark even got his story out. Paul is writing before Matthew even got his story out. Everything he's getting is getting directly downloaded from Jesus Christ, confirmed by the Old Testament scriptures. The Bible has more than enough evidence to convince the one thinking. The one willing to seek will find. The one knocking will have the door open for them. But listen, if your heart is hard, no evidence will ever convince you. Sometimes people say, well, you know, it's good for them. They got to see Jesus walk on water. They got to see all this. Have you read our Bible? One of them who saw all of that and even did miracles had him crucified, betrayed him for 30 bucks. Just because you would have saw him, just because you would have walked with him, doesn't mean your heart would be any different than it is right now. Jesus even said of myself, if they don't believe the prophets, they won't believe even one rose from the dead. 
The Bible even accounts that when he started appearing to folks, some of them didn't even believe it was him. Doubting Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch him. Do you know why it's so important that Jesus had an encounter with Thomas? Because he didn't owe it to him, but it was to close the door on the doubt that maybe Jesus was a spirit. So let's say you get back, the, get past all the doubts of the atheists that don't believe and got all that foolishness, and you talk to somebody who's spiritual. Somebody say spiritual. And they say, okay, I believe in Jesus, and I believe in all of that, and maybe he did raise, but he did it spiritually. He was a ghost like Casper. Jesus wanted to make sure he's not even a ghost. He said, come touch me. And then Doubting Thomas touched his side, touched his hands, and he said, a spirit does not have flesh and bone as I do, and that's what I am right now in front of you. And yet his flesh and bone was able to walk through walls. He was able to do things that we'll do one day because this is not just the natural world as it's always going to be. There's a supernatural world that's going to invade this natural realm. Everything that you see was created from that realm, and one day that realm is going to come here and set it in order. Somebody say, I'm ready for a super God to do something supernatural. You're going to see the one who wrote the code. You're going to see the one who set the stars up there. You're going to see the one who put DNA inside of you. Amen? He said, then he appeared to me, one born abnormally. How many know you weird? Many of us weird. Paul had no problem saying I'm weird. How was he weirdly born? He wasn't born with the good guys. He wasn't a fisherman that got chosen at first. But you know what? Even though he was weird, Jesus had a plan for a weirdy. How many of you are going to admit you've been weird before? Come on. How many know you've been weird? Some of you have been weirder than others. But listen, God still loves a weirdy like you. If he loved Paul enough to say, I haven't turned my back on you, he's going to love you. And then now look at what he says here in closing. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Today you'll hear about all these Christians, you know, talking about their title. Paul said, I don't even deserve these titles. How many think we should go back to that humility? Hello, excuse me, I'm Dr. Apostle Prophet Joe. Pleasure to meet you. How many think we should go back to the humility that we should have towels instead of titles? We should be willing to wash the feet of the saints, amen? I'm not here for what I can get out of you. I'm here to what I can give you. Jesus said, I'm the servant of all. That's what we're to be like. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many are what you are today by the grace of God? Amen. And his grace to me was not without effect. Could you meet a hurricane today and still be the same? I just met a hurricane. And I look at you, I'm like, you have not met a hurricane. How about could you go down to Niagara Falls and still look the same? I just got back from going down to Niagara Falls. No, you didn't. <laughs> You would not look like that if you just got down, uh, just came down to Niagara Falls. How many of you could say, I had just been burned alive, and you just walk around like normal? My friends, the grace of God should have an effect on you for the positive. You should know that you ran into Jesus because Jesus changed you and saved you. Saved you from what? Yourself, your attitudes, your stinking thinking from sin. People should be able to hear you say, I got saved, and they look back at you and go, oh, is that what happened? Makes sense now. When I first got around my friends, they said, what's different about you? I said, I met Jesus Christ. They could tell that there was something different about me because Jesus was changing me from the inside out. We should be able to show a world that we are Christians. We are Christ-like. The grace of God has effect on us. Now, I love what he says next here. He said, did it come without effect? No. He said, it did have effect on me, and I worked harder than them all. How many know Peter might be sitting back going, come on now, you didn't work harder than me. Paul would say, be quiet, Peter. I'm the one writing the, uh, the epistle right now. No, but you know what? I don't think God has any problem with that because it's not that God doesn't want to be our best or to give it our all. He just wants us to do it for him. Notice when it says, seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't say, seek first the kingdom of God, then move on a commune and be busted and don't know anything in life. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. I want to see jobs added unto you. I want to see government added unto you. Come on, somebody. I want to see education added unto you. We need to see God add the kingdom kingdom benefits and effect on our lives. I want, them to, I want God to give it to us so much that they get jealous and they have no choice but to make Christianity illegal so they can take it from us. That's what they had to do to Daniel. Daniel was outworking them. Daniel was smarter than them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those four boys were running the nation. And they said, we got to stop this. We got to find a way to get these boys to get, get their you know, prosperity taken from them. And they said, man, we can't find it on the job. So stop using Jesus as an excuse to do a poor job. They said, we can't find it in their everyday lives. So stop using your marriage as an excuse. They said, the only way we can stop these men is if we make praying to their God illegal. 
So they made an edict, right? You know, some of you know the story, because how did Daniel get in the lion's den? It's because he broke the law. I'm happy to be a lawbreaker for Jesus any day. They said to Daniel, we're going to make it illegal to pray, and we know right where you pray in your custom of praying. So what are you going to do now? You know what Daniel said? He said, watch me. Watch me. I'm going to do just like what I've always done. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Come on. Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And then they threw him in a lion's den, but he didn't back down. May God give us courage again to bring his testimony up into the government, to bring his testimony up on our job. Oh, to God, the president of Apple would say, we're nothing without the wisdom of God. Let's pray for the next idea. Oh, that every hospital would do what their name says their saints did and pray and ask God for mercy on our land. It's time for us to work harder than them all. I want to be the hardest working preacher in this city. Amen? Does he just preach on Sundays? No, he preaches on Tuesdays. He preaches on the street. Does he just write blogs? No, he writes books. Did he stop at being a high school dropout? No, he went and got a doctorate just to show the devil you can't stop what God started. It's time that you go beyond what anybody has ever seen, heard, or thought about you and for God to get all the glory and set you up like a trophy of his grace. How many are ready to be a trophy of the grace of God? I'm preaching better than your clapping. Come on on Easter. It's time for trophies. Trophies of grace. Yet not I. Hallelujah. And I can testify to every accomplishment that it's not me, it's God in me. How many can testify to that? Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I'm believing today that the gospel we are preaching will change nations, will change families, will change drug addicts, will change Belmont and Clark. It will change our our land. It will change our nation and the nations of the world. And then look at it here in clothing. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. This is what you believed. That's what you have to say to your friend because, listen, they may look at you crazy and they may say, well, you know what? That's just what you think. Just do a little experiment with them. Say, listen, listen, listen. I'm just going to send you home with the Bible and I'm not going to stalk you. How about you read it and see what God thinks? Because oftentimes they think it's us Christians that are just making it up. How many know today God could destroy the whole world like he did with Noah, start again just with the family, and it would still be true what he thinks? So the question isn't what Joe thinks. We're not handing out flyers for the biographical life of Joe. You're not handing somebody a, 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 a meme that says what you think, are you? Aren't we showing them what God says? God said it. That settles it. I believe it. It's settled whether I believe it or not. Can I hear an amen? And so today, thank you. We need to understand the gospel quickly in closing as Vinny comes. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Look those up in Isaiah, Psalm chapter 22. It said he would be pierced, and yet his bones would not be broken. How could you prophesy that about a prophet dying years ahead of even the crucifixion? He's pierced. That's the nails in his hand and feet. And yet he's not having any of his bones broken. The Bible said that he would be numbered among transgressors. How come he doesn't die by himself like Braveheart? He's dying between thieves and criminals. The Bible prophesied so much about him dying for our sins. But this is the thing we ought to take away. That if today you have sinned, he died to forgive you and set you free from it. We're not set free to keep sinning. We're set free to live free from sin. He was buried That's to show us that he was truly dead. He didn't swoon as some of the Muslims say. There's a scripture in the Quran that says they did not crucify him nor did they kill him but it appeared to be so. And so they want to throw the cross into speculation and doubt. And sometimes you'll talk to an informed Muslim and they'll say, oh, maybe the Romans didn't know what they were doing. Even though they were paid and trained assassins, they didn't know what they were doing. They put an alive person in a grave. Let me ask you something. If you had been beaten to the point where a Roman soldier thought you were dead and then put you in a grave for three days, somehow you roll out the stone and show up and appear to people. You think anybody's believing you're the son of God? You're looking like the walking dead. You're like, oh, Dito, Jesus, let me help you, Jesus. Nice try, Jesus, nice tries. You tried to be our savior. 
You're going to look at a man that's been beaten 39, whipped 39 times, beaten, bloody, crucified, and then they're going to say, that's my Lord and Savior. There he is, the risen Lord. The burial was to show us he was dead, that there was no chance of human resuscitation in that burial tomb. And the story of it being covered with the stone is because the Jews were smart enough to go, well, he's got so much writing on this death, burial, resurrection motif, we might as well make sure that he can't get out of there. And every description of the tomb lines up with history, the way guards would be placed there, the way a seal would be sealed there, and that anyone who would break that seal would be under the pain of death, and any soldier that it would allow a seal to be broken under their watch would be with the pains of death punished. And so the burial is not just something we skip through. It's a part of the historical fact, and we know where he was born. The Bible says, lastly, he was raised on the third day. Somebody say he raised. The Bible says the Father raised him. How many believe the Father raised him? The Bible says he raised himself. How many believe Jesus raised himself? And the Bible says the Spirit raised him. How many believe that? Is there a contradiction? No, because God is the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The Father demonstrated his vindication of the Son by raising him and being present. He had forsook him at the cross when at 3 o'clock the sky turned black and Jesus cried out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. The Father vindicated his Son, raised him. The Son vindicated his own power by asserting his spirit back into his body. How many know your body is not your spirit? Sometimes people ask where... Well, where was Jesus? Or how is Jesus still God if his body can die? How are you still human if you live beyond your body? Because you're not just a body. You are a human spirit in a body of flesh. Jesus was the divine spirit in his body of flesh. When he said goodbye to the body, he went down to death, hell, and the grave and said to the devil, you think it's over now? It's just getting started. And he put the devil under his feet and took the authority of death, hell, and the grave from him. And then he set free the captives in Abraham's bosom who were waiting for redemption and brought captivity captive into the presence of his father where they've been ever since around the throne, regenerated by the Spirit of God. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit raised him to demonstrate the same Holy Spirit will raise us. That if the Holy Spirit was present at the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will resurrect all those who have been servants of Jesus to a resurrected body to serve with Christ forever and ever. How many believe the kingdom of God is coming on earth as it is in heaven? And how many know you look good now, but you're about ready to look a whole lot better then? I'm getting a resurrected body, no freckles, no mental illness, no more, no more physical illness, perfect like the ones of Christ, like the one of Christ. And then he appeared to his disciples to show us that now this message needed to go out and change the world. Has the message of the gospel changed your life? It's changed mine. Would you close in prayer with me now? Let's pray. Father, as altar workers come, Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. We thank you that he willingly came, went to the cross, was buried and rose and ascended to heaven. Now we ask you to search our hearts to see if we're holding on to the gospel today. In your heart of hearts, would you be honest with yourself before we go? We've already had a time during the communion, but one last time before we go today. Would you be sure of your salvation, your relationship between you and God? Because this is the only gospel that will save you. Right now, examine your heart. Some of you may say, I've never really encountered this kind of message. Today will be your first day then. For others, you may say, you know what? I've encountered this message, but I've been distracted by the world. I'm not really where I'm supposed to be. Take this moment to hold firmly to what you have believed in the past. And then lastly, if you're here today, and you would say, Pastor, I'm living for Jesus. I know the gospel. But today, I just want to be more of an influence wherever I go. This message was for one of those three people. Listen, when we get ready to dismiss, we want to pray with one of you three. If you have to go after this, that's fine. But we want to pray with either those who have never known Jesus, you want to encounter God as we've spoke today. He will do it. Or you want to get back to where you're supposed to be. As the Bible would say, you're going to return to the Lord while there is time. Or lastly, if you would say, I want to be used to be a light for Christ. I'm convicted. I know that I should be doing more, working harder than them all.
because of what God did for me. We're going to close out in prayer and then dismiss. Father, we thank you today that hearts are being opened. We're searching our hearts to make sure that if we're any of those three, we're not leaving out the same way we came. Come on, those of you who already got those three things right, just pray that everyone will leave out here the way they're supposed to be. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Few moments. Search my heart, oh God. I don't want to leave out here being anything other than who you called me to be, working as hard as I can by your grace. By your grace. Few moments, God, can change our lives. Few moments. You're not promised tomorrow. Jesus, show us who we are so we can be who you are today. Take away any deception from our eyes that we may have. Take away any of the lies we might have believed from well-intending people, even those closest to us. Help us to be honest with who we are in the sight of this message, in the sight of the gospel. Change us. Rearrange us. Set our feet on the path of righteousness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Can you stand up and bless the Lord today on this wonderful resurrection service? Thank you for coming. These altar workers will be here to pray with you as we close in worship. But you are formally dismissed, family and friends. Thank you for coming. Have a wonderful day. There's gifts out here if you want to exit this way as well. We got gifts for the children. But feel free to come and pray and worship because we want to make time to do that as well. Thank you. God bless you.